If the creek's been rising or the weather's coming up or you found a little nugget or your horse has won the cup, put the billy on. Ring Macca. Australia's waiting for you. I'd like to be at any of those joints this morning, even cruising the swamps of Arnhem Land with the crocs, especially down on the Strand. If you're running along the Strand this morning and you've got your Walkman on and you're listening, give us a ring of rumour. Our numbers especially, well, wherever, 1300 700 triple two. I'd love to talk to you wherever you are. This morning, uh, trains and romance on. Want a hand, mate? Ring Macca. Someone will give it a go. I'm heading out to Bawarana. I'm a TAFE teacher, and uh, I'm going out there to teach a group of fellas there uh, some welding. We have our social distancing because everyone's in welding bays and they are all got a mask on. And it's a great way of seeing the country. It's lovely to help people, isn't it, Craig? And they must ah. be pleased to meet you because, you, yes, you're teaching them a life skill, really. Well, it is a life skill because a lot of people can just fix up their old gate, get out of the rut a little bit, let your mind escape. How long will you be in Brie for? I'll be there for the week. And then I'm, I'm looking at probably Canamble and then Walgut. I've taught in Lajamanu in Wyndham, Timber Creek. I've been all over the place. I bet you haven't been to Agadagada. I don't. I, <laughs> I, got I don't know. I've been to so many different... <laughs> I got a fly, Craig, but lovely to talk to you, mate. Good on you. Good on you. See you, Mac. Have a good one. That was Craig. He's been all over too. And good morning, especially to my friends in Melbourne. And uh, hopefully, hopefully... Um, Things will get better soon before they get worse. Good morning and welcome. 1300 700 222. What did you think of the race? Interesting, wasn't it? Do you remember Dr. Ross last week? He rang us and he was he's always up there when there's a crowd there up on the top of the hill and he's he's with the St. John Ambulance and he's a doctor so he fixes up bits and pieces. But this is what Dr. Ross said last week about uh, he was at there before this race started. He was I think he was down at the at the start actually. What's it like on Pitt Strait, mate? Well, it's eerie. I mean, I've just taken a wander from the St. John tent up to Pitt Strait because we're immediately behind it in the police compound, and there was nobody. I have never experienced a race where there isn't a buzz in the air, and there just isn't a buzz. Without a crowd and without the emotion that goes with the whole Holden versus Ford thing, the race is silent. I've never seen a start. I've never seen a finish. But I've always experienced that emotion uh, because I've usually been tied up doing something. But I think I'll see the start this year. We don't use the Q word in medicine. We don't want to know that things are quiet. But this is going to be a Q start, I think. So it was Dr. Ross last week. It's the same, isn't it? It's like the Cox Plate. Without a crowd, without any any public function where there's an interaction, without the crowd, it's just, just ain't the same. I had a, a Facebookie from John Lord. He says, Ian... This time, this is for last Sunday, 45 years ago, today, last Sunday, drove my Cooper S in the great race. John Lord, do you remember him in his Cooper S? I'm glued to the box. I was glued to the box to watch it. Remember the Cooper S's? See, there's something, I don't know what it is, Cortinas and Tiranas and the GT Falcons and Moneros and, oh, I loved it. But there was something special about the Minis. They... They just were, oh, was it, was it fabulous or what? Did I give you the number? 1300 700 222. On the program this morning, a lovely story about magpies. I love magpies. They can sing in tune to everything. I know they sound like shunting railway carriages, but Graham Cockrell says, Ian, would you be interested in popping into Pyramid Hill one day to do a show? Of course I would. 
I'd be interested in popping into anywhere. Nobody's popping into anywhere, really, are they? If you know what I mean, across the borderline. Rossi Style says, I saw a little touch of Australia while I was riding my Honda in rural Vietnam and stopped to refuel. The service station that I stopped at had a very nice Avery with budgerigars in it. I explained to him that they were an Australian bird and he was fascinated to learn about that. He became more proud of his birds as he didn't know their origin. They were in a good aviary with plenty of room to fly around, says Rossi Stiles. Yes, Kill Kill Garys. Remember I read that letter from Chloe Moella from South Australia? Oh, I'm looking through my back pages to try and find more letters from Chloe. She, is just, she was just the ant's pants. She was a great girl. And I'd never heard that phrase, Kill Kill Gary, and I don't think many people have. But that's the name she used. Flocks of she was out at Daisy Bates camp and she said Dudley Dudley Dum and flocks of kill kill Garys. Oh dear oh dear. But there you go. They're all over there ubiquitous. <laughs> the budgie should be the national bird, of course. Of course. And Kay is it Karen? Karen says Kay says They're painting the Australian hobby, the Falcon, on the silo of my hometown of Caniva. It's gorgeous. You can watch it on Facebook. You can do everything on Facebook, can't you, Kay? That's the story. Dave's in Gove. Not the Dave. Hello, Dave. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good. Is that Dave? Dave? Yep. Yep. Dave Mitchell from Gove. How are you? Mate, it's... Well, how long's it been, Dave? It's been 20 years. I looked it up the other day. I was reading um, one of the books that you left me here the other day, and uh, it has been twenty years, mate. God help me, Jesus, um, Dave. Um, and Dave, you, I know you're a Canterbury supporter, weren't you? Or are you? Yes, you are. <laughs> Jeez, you got a good memory. Yeah, well, the footy's on. The footy finals on the um, NRL. So, yeah, I thought. Uh, but you're up in Gove now. You're not uh, coming down for the footy, of course. You know. No, no, no. I'm staying put until uh, till we get a bit of a, a bit of a uh, green light to get down there. So, Dave, how's things in Gove, mate? We haven't been there for ages. I'd love to be back there. Gee, we had a nice time. Uh, it's so it's so hot at the moment. It's uh, it's been uh, really sweltering, and today it's five o'clock in the morning, and it's still still hot. The um, you wouldn't be able to run into the water like you did when you were here this time because, like twenty years ago, there was a lot less crocodiles around than there are now. Really? Yeah, yeah. We still swim, but you just got to be so careful now. Yes, they're very, they're very, um, they're more dangerous than sharks, aren't they? They and they they seem to uh, watch, don't they? They sit and watch and sit and watch and sit and watch and then bang. They're nothing as patient as a crocodile, that's for sure. They'll mm. sit there for ages just to get a feed. And why it's is been, that? Um, is that because they're protected, uh, Dave? And um, and uh, yeah, I mean, once upon a time, people used to hunt them and things like that, didn't they? But now, no. Well, when I first got to go, it was just the end of the hunting and um, one never saw a crocodile for 10 years probably. Mm. But then uh, after that, uh, they started to grow up a bit and now we've got some real, real big ones around. We've also got some um, some great music that we're starting to uh, starting to uh, produce around here. A lot of the, the young blokes that are, were the sons of uh, Yothi Indi and, and nephews of Yothi Indi um, are starting to get into their own musical stuff now. I don't know if you've heard a band called King Stingray. There's a a, a Yornal, um, a band out called King Stingray, and they're just um, magnificent. And they're uh, they're all over the internet, like everyone else now. 
Yeah, no, I haven't. I'll, I'll King Stingray. I'll have a look. I'll have a look for him. King Stingray. Uh, Stewie Kellaway's son, um, Roy. He's just a brilliant guitarist. I've never seen anyone do the uh, the opening of uh, Tribal Voice like uh, like Roy can. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got a, a a singer. He's probably the best, one of the best traditional singers I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of good traditional singers. Uh, Yunya Yunapinu. Yeah. And uh, he's the the nephew of uh, Mandawai Yunapinu. Uh-huh. And he really does. He 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 fills in for Yothi Indi sometimes and. Uh, He's just, just, just brilliant. There's another kid called Dimasteya Barawanga who's 24, I think, and um, he's a percussionist and he can sing, dance, play guitar, yadaki. He's just wow. amazing. And Campbell Mesa, he's there and he does bass and bass and backup vocals. And um, they're just a really good band. They've had um, dates at Splendor in the Grass, but obviously that's um, that's gone this year. Yeah, everything's gone this year. It's a wonder they're allowed to have uh, forty thousand at the footy, but there, there you go. I mean, no one was at the um, at the Cox Plate yesterday, and I assume there'll be no one at the um, at the at the Melbourne Cup, or very few anyway. What well, was it? The first three horses were Irish in the Cox Plate, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, something like, <laughs> something like that. It'll be this. It'll be the same in the Cup too. I think there's hardly any Australian bred horses in the in the Melbourne Cup, which is a great shame. Uh, Bart yeah. was all, Bart was always saying, you know, that was his big. Uh, he thought that was a terrible thing that we don't uh, breed because we've had a great tradition of breed, you know, far lap and you know, although he's a New, yeah. Ze- New Zealand horse, but um, we call him our own. But um, we have a great tradition of stayers in Australia, but not anymore, not anymore. So, Dave, tell me this: um, you, you've lived in Gove now for how long? Probably all up about forty years, mate. Forty years, and 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 as industry still is the what's the name still going there? The um, the smelter. Uh, no, they they closed the refinery, um, mm. but we're still um, exporting bauxite. I think they've probably got another another eight years of bauxite left, and mm. then she'll be all over Red Rover. Where does the bauxite go to? Is that used in Australia or sent overseas or what? Uh, I believe a lot of it goes to Australia, a lot of it goes to China. There's everything. We've moved our manufacturing industries to China all over the all over the country. Mm. Um, maybe some of it will come back now when we've realised that uh, our supply chains aren't as uh, strong as we thought they were. G'day, this is Macca. Uh, g'day, Macca. This is Sam calling from Wendory Park. I have a solution to your stink bug problem. Right. Where's Wendory Park oh. for everybody else? Uh yeah, Wendover Park is up the freeway from Sydney, and you turn off on the Mount White exit, and there's about a hundred homes down off of Mount White, just on the river. Uh huh. We're actually on uh, just off of the Hawkesbury River. All right. Yep. Yep. Good. Yeah. So the solution to the sink bugs is uh, my wife got sprayed by one, and she had to go to the emergency room. And as it turns out, uh, the best way to do it to keep away from them. It's to take a piece of PVC pipe and attach it to a shop vac or a karcher. And in the bottom of that shop vac, you put in a bunch of methylated spirits. Uh-huh. So you can keep your distance from them, suck the, suck the stink bugs into the vacuum, and then when they drop into the shop vac, the methylated spirits will kill them. I see. And, and if and you... The, go on. Yeah. And the stink bugs themselves, I think if you look them up on Google or whatever, they'll They'll tell you that what they have in them is an aldehyde, which is like a formaldehyde. Uh, 
kind of equal to that. And so when you get it in your eye, it's really dangerous. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I said, my wife got it in her eye. She couldn't see for almost a whole day. And then it was blurry after that. And she still has to have doctors keep an eye on it. Just, just a, you know, just as a... I, or, yeah, I, it's really dangerous. Yeah, I say. And they, they uh, it's the end of your, your crop because they're, they're all over mine. And I, I don't really know what to do about them because I've had them before. And and what we used to do is go and pick them off one by one, you know, by hand and put them in a bucket of salt salt water. And you can do that, I suppose, but you need glasses on. Yep. But I, I always think it's yep. too, it might be an aldehyde, but it's also, I think it's just citric acid as well because they're, they're on citrus. Oh, sure. And, and, that's, yep. and, and when you squash them, it's, it's all green and smells like acid. So I'd, I reckon it'd be a, a, quite a strong uh, solution of um, citric acid that they're squirting out. And, and that's why yep. it'll... That's why, you know, you get it on your hand and stuff. If you've got sensitive skin, you'll, you'll end up with a rash on your face or your, your hands. It's sure. But, uh, and that... you get a long drought like that, and what are they after? They're probably after water, and they're getting it from the citrus tree. So you can only imagine that it gets more and more concentrated as they get more of that citrus in them. Sam, tell me your story and your accent. What's your, what's your, uh, what's your, what's your Australian story? I'm a story? Yank. I'm definitely a Yank. I've uh, come over about 2011. August in 2011, and uh, I come over to work for uh, in the satellite TV satellite industry, and uh, now I'm working for the the larger telecom in uh, Australia. Telstra. Oh. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, and I, I'm just loving life. It's it's great over here, <laughs> and never a better place to be. It's it's uh, weather's beautiful every day, even when it's raining. I get to ride my motorcycle to work if I want. Uh, where I grew up, uh, we had two meters to three meters of snow in northern Minnesota up near Canada. Oh, Minnesota's so, a cold uh, place, yeah. isn't it? It's very cold. Beautiful place, though. You should all visit. Um, there's four, 14,000 lakes, I think, and you could put a different boat into a different lake the rest of your life and never hit every lake. It's quite it's quite the place to visit. So. Sam, tell us. About, I like living here. Yeah, I bet you do. Um, so do we. <laughs> Sam, tell us about the um, the um, the American and the Australian state of mind. I can I look at this lockdown that we have in parts of Australia and we've had yeah. and borders uh, that would never pass in America, would it? I I don't think that would ever could ever, and something to do with no. the 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 something to do with the war of independence and the civil war and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? I mean that, and it's a bit like the convict yeah. thing, convict thing goes through our blood. I reckon I, I don't, that would never, would it, that would never wash in America, would it? No. And you know, I, I don't, I don't know what it's all about. It's about freedom and look how free I am. And, you know, and I think that you you see a very split and broken America right now. And it's really hurts my heart to say it. Because when, you know, when things like September 11th happened, when, when, uh, when Hawaii was bombed, uh, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, these are moments we all came together as a country. We need more moments like that. We, mean, we need more yep, we do. Uh, moonshot moments yep. because that's what makes us strong. And that's what makes us, you know, that's when, when we come together as a world. And, and uh, I don't know what's going on in times like this and why there's so much hate. And, and that type of thing. I do my best to try to uh, maybe try to get rid of that. It's very hard. Maybe it's because we don't have uh, enough things to do on our mind to concentrate us on. You know, I, I think we talked about this. Somebody said there's a there's four stages or something psychological. Uh, 
uh, inquiry about um, the four stages of life and, and when you've got nothing, do you sit around and, and try and find things? But if you've got something that's focusing your mind, like you, you know, like the World War, for example, five years of that, yep. and and you don't need that, but, yeah, moonshot moments, that's what you need. You need something like that to and take to, to, to real, make us realise what the things we've got that bond us, not the things that draw and us you apart. Know, you, said something, you said something last week that uh, after you said it, I immediately did it. You said, what about our friends down in Melbourne? And I started picking up the phone and calling friends down in Melbourne and just tell them I'm thinking about them, you know, that they're going through hard times right now. And uh, that was a huge help. It's, that's Maybe that's where we can start. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, thanks for the tip about the um, the stinkers. Uh- <laughs> yeah, be careful. You know, you know the arborists that are up in the trees, those guys really are in danger. If they sweep those off and wipe their eyes, wow. You're, you Now you got to get out of the tree and you can't see. You know, so if you're up in a tree, really be careful. Yeah, yeah it's very, it's very harsh. That's that's what I reckon. It's very harsh and very um, damaging to skin or eyes, especially. Yeah, yeah. Sam, I'll let you go. I love your show. Thank yep. you, and uh, keep up good work. And keep taking the tablets. Yeah, good on you, Sam. <laughs> nice to talk to you. <laughs> Cheers. See you. Bye. Yeah, This is the All Over News. Following up on a story from last week about mental health and philanthropy. Maybe strange bedfellows, maybe not. Every year, various publications, Financial Review, Business Review Weekly, The Australian, publish a rich list of the richest 250, etc., etc., that tells us who's got what. It's no surprise, really. We all like to know. We've all grown up in some way worshipping money or what it can buy, mostly a roof over your head and food to eat and maybe later some of the finer things of life. But how much is enough? And do we as Australians, in particular those on that rich list, give back, if you like? Dr Justin Smith rang us last week, involved in what's called the Great Cycle Challenge. That's thousands of people around Australia doing their bit, raising money for CMRI, which is the Children's Medical Research Institute. This is what Dr Justin had to say. As far as mental health goes, I think being philanthropic is better for your mental health than getting your nails done necessarily or buying a new glider. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that does help for sure. But, um, <laughs> I think teaching your patients or your friends or your relatives that looking at what you can do for your... There's so many good causes, isn't there? You know, you've got the brain cancer with Mark Hughes, you've got breast cancer, there's suicide prevention, but it doesn't really matter as long as it's something that you feel relevant or passionate about. And to put in a bit of effort occasionally instead of, you know... We're not going on cruises and holidays. You could you can put a bit of money into good causes, and that'll make you feel better. Being a doctor, we're pretty comfortable having worked for 40 years. You know, you get your super behind you, and if you're lucky, you get ahead. But there are people out there that earn a lifetime of income per year. Exactly. And some of them are on, you know, 10, 15, 20 million a year, and some of them don't even have children, if you get my drift. In America, you're right. There's a much, much more philanthropy, but it's not a, a common thing throughout Australia. And even in this tiny thing I've mentioned, the Great Cycle Challenge, you know, I have my like cleaner or someone like that who wants to give us a proportion exactly. of what they can afford. And then you get millionaires who will give you a hundred bucks. You don't know what they're doing in other capacities. You've got to maintain a, an understanding. You just take what, what people are happy to give. Dr. Justin Smith, 
Sadly, it seems some of those who should be the benchmark don't come up to the mark. Dick Smith makes no secret of what he gives, maybe because it makes him feel good, maybe to encourage others. Here's the problem. Uh, In America, if you're wealthy, you almost have an obligation to openly give and be generous. It's just part of their culture. We don't have this here in Australia. And I was doing a check. We have 100 billionaires at the moment, but only 15% of them, that's only 15 are known as philanthropists. The rest, you don't know whether they give a cent. Many of them, I'm sure, give nothing. And how do you know that? Well, it's because uh, the tax department reports that I think it's so many people who have an income of over $5 million but do not claim even $1 as a tax deduction for a donation. And you can imagine their accountant saying to them, now, look, how many donations have you given? And they'd say, oh, nothing at all. And they'd say, but surely you gave $50 to the salvos. No, didn't give anything to anyone. There is a lot of, unfortunately, quite selfish and greedy people around. How do you change that culture, Dick? It's interesting. It's going to be very hard. In, in my case, I mean, I was in the Boy Scouts, so you had to do a good turn every day and help other people at all times. And the reason I don't keep my giving secret is I just look on it as an obligation. I'm just fulfilling an obligation, so why would you want to keep that secret? I do my giving because it makes me feel good. No other reason. It sort of generates karma. But I do know some billionaires who basically give nothing, and I can't believe that they could be that utterly selfish. What do you do with your money? How many houses can you have? How many? Exactly right. And look, a billionaire giving away $100,000 is like a normal person giving away $5. So it's not as if a billion dollars, wait for it, that's 1,000 million in effect. In Mm. other words, that's a tremendous amount of money. And it is very sad that we don't have that American ethos. You've got Bill Gates who's giving most of his fortune away. They've signed what they call the Bill Gates Giving Pledge. I think at the moment we only have... Two Australians who have signed that, one of them being Andrew Forrest, who's very generous. But many of those other famous billionaires just basically don't give a cent. And is it to do with tax deductions or anything like that? They get a tax deduction in America or we get a tax deduction here? It's exactly the same. You don't necessarily get a tax deduction. You just don't pay tax on a Mm. donation, which, of course, you shouldn't do. And so that means that if they give away $1 million, it only costs them $650,000, but at least still costs them that. But uh, our tax deduction for donations is very similar to the United States. I checked that because I wondered why it's so different here. And not so long ago, I tried to get the Australian newspaper who have this 100 most wealthy Australians to list under each entry philanthropy but they refused to do that because they said oh no that would stop people reading their list because so many people would be offended and as we race headlong into summer one of the markers I always find is a jacaranda festival in Grafton which starts on October the 30th however as our reporter Rick Kemp says the jacaranda flowering or the purple haze has been moving down the eastern seaboard since late September when it started in Herberton on the Atherton Tablelands in far north Queensland this will continue down the coast finishing around December in Melbourne In many places along the way, forward-thinking forebears, Rick says, planted two other trees with jacarandas, the golden-flowering silky oak, or Grevillea robusta, and the red-flowering Illawarra flame tree. This produces a tri-coloured spectacle, eagerly anticipated at this time of year. It's a special pre-summer, pre-Christmas, seasonal colour marker. Enjoy. If you've got a yarn or a story for the All Over News, just send it in. 1300 700 222. Give us a ring wherever you are. I'd love to talk to you. And although many of us can't travel around Australia, we can do it vicariously via the radio. 
Come with us to Darwin. It was 1992. We were in the Botanic Gardens and had a lovely morning meeting a lot of the locals. Australia all over coming to you from the Botanic Gardens. I'd like to introduce you, everybody, to a bloke called Lloyd Brown. What do you do, Lloyd? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a historian and I'm looking into the history of the Escape Cliff Settlement, which is the first Palmerston. Escape Cliffs? Yeah, Escape Cliffs is on the mouth of the Adelaide River. It was settled in 1864 to 1867. Why did, why did they call it Escape Cliffs? Well, it was called Escape Cliffs because uh, when the Adelaide River was first discovered, uh, a couple of the guys landed there and they were attacked by the Aborigines and uh, they had a very narrow escape. They were under the cliffs uh, trying to uh, set their compasses and the Woolner Aborigines appeared at the top and they thought that the only way they could escape these two white fellows was to start dancing, which they did. Uh, and the Aborigines let them off. Their spears were poised, but because they put on a corroboree, I think the reward was they let them go with their lives. So hence the name Escape Cliffs. That's simply part of my research. I mean, this placard that I have here is the site of John McKinley, who was one of the explorers out of uh, Escape Cliffs. In 1866, he headed off across the floodplains in the direction of the Roper River, and he actually got stuck for six weeks just south of the Mary River. This was the worst wet of, of all time, just about, and uh, this is the actual spot where he was stuck for six weeks. I found it last year, and, and nobody else, I guess, has ever found it. I mean, the diaries, it's fairly well recorded, and the actual navigator on this uh, expedition gave a latitude, and when I eventually found the spot and checked the latitude of this place with... Uh, the latitude that given by the navigator in 1866 is only 200 yards out. That's not too bad. And I checked my latitude with a GPS satellite navigator, which is the latest thing. Uh, what I have here is an axe head. It's 134 years old. Now, I found this on the beach south of Escape Cliffs, and it was buried in the sand. My theory is that it was stolen by the Aborigines. The Aborigines were always stealing bits of iron from this particular camp and hiding them. This, this was so isolated and in such a remote place from the camp itself that uh, I presume it was stolen, buried, and then they'd forgotten where they left it. But as you can see, it's marvellously rusted. If you started to knock some of those flakes of rust off, there wouldn't be any of the iron left. What about this, Lloyd? This is the band from a spa, which was also found on the same beach. Uh, in the old days, they had wooden spars or cross beams where they set the sails for ships. And because the end of wood will split, these spar bands were put on the end to stop the wood splitting, and you see the rivet has gone through there. What do you like about uh, studying history and being a historian? Well, I think it's interesting to be able to go to a place like this that nobody else has ever been to and actually find these places. And part of the charm of living in the Northern Territory is that you can still do that. If you lived in Brisbane or Sydney and you started to look for the track of the explorer of John Oxley, you'd find there'd be roadhouses and, uh, you know, big bananas sticking up on the road where this guy left. But here, I mean, there is absolutely uh, nothing. It's still virgin bush. All you've got to do is have enough initiative to get in the car and go out there. And, of course, you've got to read the diaries and do a bit of research first. How long have you lived in the Territory, Lloyd? Since 1974, since before the cyclone. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank uh, Lloyd Brown. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you.
with me this morning. I've got Gillian Thompson. I went out to a little joint called Nungalinia College. Aboriginal people from all around places like Bathurst Island, I think I'm right, Mornington Island and Millingimby, all those sorts of places come in here to Darwin and they live and live in. But my next guest will tell me a little bit about that, Gillian Thompson. She works at Nungalinia College and also with her is Charlie Tapu, who's a Torres Strait Islander. Good morning, Gillian. Good morning. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. Nice to have you both here. Gillian, tell me how long have you been there? I've been there for about two and a half years now. It all started one Tuesday afternoon when I had a phone call to say that there was a, a shortage of staff and would I help out for one session in teaching screen printing. So I went along to help out and I've been there ever since. And I guess the challenge is living in the, in the Territory. One of the, the great things is that you never know what's going to happen next and certainly not what you're going to learn next. When I came up, you know, my information about Aboriginals was what I'd learned at primary school and since then I've had a wonderful learning experience, a cross-cultural experience, but working at Nunalinga College and working with Aboriginal artists has been a wonderful experience. There's this real cross-informing one another, isn't it? Yeah, there's a great sense of cross-informing. I think probably one of the, the funny things was when I first started there, I'd been in Darwin six months and it hadn't rained for six months. Um, it started to rain one night when I was teaching and you know how when it rains and the smell comes up from the earth and it feels really great and I sort of said to everyone, hey, it's, you know, it's raining, isn't this tremendous? And then there was this vibrant sound of a, a frog and I said, hey, listen to that frog. And I didn't get much response. And so the sounds of the frog got deeper and deeper and I said to the students, hey, the frog's in a drain pipe, isn't it? Great, listen to that sound of the frog. And finally one student walked up to me really closely and said, Gillian, it's a didgeridoo. <laughs> and I just go, I mean, you know, that's a real experience. You just proved to me how much I had to learn when I first arrived in town. <laughs> Charlie Tapau. Is that right, Charlie Tapau or Tapu? You're a Torres Strait Islander from Murray Island. You better tell us all about Murray Island. What sort of a place is it? Well, the Murray Island is a beautiful island. Mo most of the people uh, from the Torres Strait, I come from Eastern Torres Strait, and there's a poor group of people, Eastern Torres Strait, and the Central Torres Strait, and uh, Central Western Torres Strait, and uh, Western Torres Strait. And when we meet together, we talk Fijian English. Not just like the New Guinea people, but different from uh, uh, New Guinea people, but we understand together. You're here at Nangalinia College at the moment, are you? Yeah, I'm in uh, Nangalinia College. Uh, I used to work here in uh, a thing that our Lord Mayor know, know me well, George Brown. I used to work here 15 years in, uh, in this area here. In the Botanic Gardens? Uh, in the Botanical Gardens, sorry. And uh, all the trees and coconuts, I was planted here. I was in 15 years in the city council. When I left city council, so I went to the government work, do a contract from uh, Amtidu to Jabaru, and I was working there for three years. My wife and my kids were, you know, always coming back here every Friday afternoon. I'm going on Sunday, Sunday morning, coming back again on uh, after. Friday afternoon, so my my wife and my kids would miss me all the time. I'm a hard-working man. <laughs> would you rather live in Darwin or live on Murray Island? Well, it's, uh, the weather is look like like Murray Island, like a Torres Strait. It's here, 
But I like uh, when I get here, and I went through Tracy. I like Darwin. I've become a terror, terror, terror. Good on you, lads, and you'll enjoy it. How long do you reckon you'll stay here, Gillian? I don't know. I'm challenged at the moment to stay. The work that the students are doing is absolutely fantastic. And as Charlie said, if you're ever out to Casuarina, come into our display centre at the college. We've got what I think we can almost claim some of the best marbling in Australia. We went to Melbourne recently for an exhibition and the textile technologist down there said it's the best she's seen. Isn't that wonderful? Ladies and gentlemen, please thank uh, Gillian Thompson and Charlie Tapu. Oh, to be in Darwin. Hello, yep. Mecca. Yep. It's Lynn from Glen Waverley in Melbourne here. How's things, um, how's things Lynn? Oh, well, actually, it's quite a nice day. I can see lots of blue skies, 11 degrees, which is pretty cool. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that's what, what it's like down here now. What I'm calling about is um, the pre-game entertainment at the Gabba last night. Mm. Um, I'm not a real football fan, but I was watching it with my husband, we're St Kilda supporters, mm. and um, Mike Brady singing Up There Kazali in the middle of the M- of the empty MCG oh, really? brought, me, brought me to absolute tears. And and God, I'm I'm nearly crying now. It was it it, it was absolutely amazing. It was so sad. It was so sad to see it, and it was such a COVID moment that I'll never forget. Well, there you go, a COVID moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll never forget that. And after it, I rang my daughter, and she couldn't talk. To, she couldn't talk because she was crying too. There you go. So, <laughs> so my, I didn't watch it. I was, I was in here, mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. getting the program ready and listening yeah. to the listening to the cox yeah. plate and waiting for the roar yeah. roar of the crowd, but nothing happened. Yeah, yeah that didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I watched that too yesterday. That was quite interesting. But, but, um, it was wonderful, wonderful. That they put on a great turn. The uh, uh, the Queensland people. The the it was just lovely. The whole show was wonderful. But Mike Brady brought me to tears. So anyone that was watching that, I don't know if they think the same thing. An empty MCG. He was standing right in the middle with just him and his um his, his trusty his, guitar, his, his loudspeakers and his guitar. That's right. And it was so sad. <laughs> anyway, well, <laughs> good on you, Lenny. Okay, thank you, thank you, Macker. I'll talk to you again soon. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.